Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome everybody to season three, episode four of Man Buns and Jesus. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Laborious. We have another host, Ben Olschlager. And Hello. as we have actually managed for every episode this season, we have another guest that Ben will introduce in a minute. Um, but we're, Josh, we're you just continue. lied to our you just lied to our audience. We didn't have a guest for episode one. Uh, my imaginary friend was there, so shut. <laughs> sir the holy spirit was there he's i am i come prepared with these smooth segues into the show and then you just you drop a grenade right in there and you say no 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 smooth introductions for you anyway ladies and gentlemen i'm sorry i apologize for my co-host for every word out of his mouth i'm sorry but we're going to continue going through corinthians and as it is episode four and for no other reason than it's episode four, we're going to look at chapter four today. And chapter four of First Corinthians says this. It says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the ministries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes. Who will bring light to the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you do not, did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. For the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands and reviled. We bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the scum of the earth, and the refuse of all things. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love in a spirit of gentleness? That is a, that is a, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And uh, to help us unpack that a lot. Uh, in less than an hour. In, in less than an hour. Or as best we can in less than an hour. Uh, we have my practically neighbor uh, about half an hour away from uh, from church to church, at least uh, here in the state of Michigan, uh, a man that I know treasures his uh, opportunities and the, the responsibilities that he has as a pastor. And we kind of knew he'd be uh, available today because we got so much snow here in Michigan that uh, there's nothing else that he has to do. It's Evan Veen. Evan, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you back, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'll see what I can do to help, but I don't know if I'm going to be too much help with this heavy passage. <laughs> I just, I love that he, he closes with, we are the scum of the earth, the refuse of all things. Be like us. <laughs> I now want a t-shirt that says I'm the scum of the earth. Is it didn't Luther do that a few times too? Like there's a make a t-shirt. Did t-shirts exist back then? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure if like like that seems like a dumb question, but I actually I genuinely like it feels like a modern thing that t-shirt does. See, we always attribute the like the Gutenberg press thing and his relationship to the printing press era as to like why his ideas took off. So why not just print them on a t-shirt? Like, why could that not have been part of the, the Reformation? <laughs> that has nothing to do with what we're talking about <laughs> at all. Anyway, no, the point that I was getting at, I'm pretty sure there's a Latin word that's close to Luther that he would sometimes sign his name as, which literally meant scum. Uh so like it was like Dart, Dr. Martin's gum, basically. Uh, anyway, sounds Luther enough for us to go with. Yeah, I, I that might be pulling something out my. Uh, you know what? So we'll. Uh, so Ben, yeah. uh, is there anything here that where you want us to specifically focus on? Since you're yeah, supposed to introduce the topic that we're talking about today. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so there's a couple of things here in our text that we, we wanted to narrow in on. Um, the role of the apostles within the early church was kind of like this supersized, semi-missionary, semi-pastoral, um, semi-just-incredible man-of-God role. Like, they were instructed in the course of days and months and... Uh, sometimes if they were lucky years um to travel from city to city and basically put on the most condensed condensed seminary uh, experience that those early church leaders well that probably the church in general has ever known um i think of the story in acts where i don't remember where he's at but there there's this group gathered in uh, an upper room late into the late into the night and there's this young boy sitting on a window still um and they're all so enraptured by paul's teaching that they just they keep going and keep going and this boy is just like you know what i'm done falls asleep but also falls out the window uh and dies and uh paul's like you know what that's fine 
walks down to the street, uh, resurrects this kid from the dead uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and then they go back to uh, learning and hearing the teaching of Paul. And it's like, what? He was he was dead. And now he's not dead. And he's fine. Well, the best part is, I think it's Eutychus is the youth who fell out the window. Yeah. And I believe it states like they kept on talking until the next morning after yeah. this happened. Yeah. So I was like, like put him to sleep, fell, fell out the window. He died, resurrected. But come on, guys, you got to finish up the lesson. Then we can <laughs> How good of a teacher must Paul have been to keep their attention in that way? Or he was yeah, terrified. Are you kidding? He didn't keep the kid's attention. He fell out a window. <laughs> But what good pastor doesn't lose the teenagers at some point? <laughs> I've got nothing. I'm. <laughs> you're in rare form today, Ben. Either that, or I'm irritable. Well, thank you. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> Paul has this role. the The disciples after uh, Christ's resurrection, you know, minus uh, Judas, kind of add. Uh, Matthias, uh, eh. anyway, they have this role of, of teacher, preacher, pastor, missionary, all kind of rolled into one. And their responsibility is to create communities uh, around this new understanding of God's relationship with his people that will uphold it in an honest and faithful way. Um, and so they, they're being both incredibly generous and yet incredibly protective of the gifts that God has given them. And as we look at their role, there's a lot of parallels between what those apostles were doing in terms of founding the church and what pastors are doing in terms of uh, our responsibility to shepherd and grow uh, churches and people and uh, all of these things. Um, in terms of our responsibility to steward the gifts, in terms of our responsibility to steward our people. Um, so we kind of want to just talk about what we can learn from uh, the scum of the earth that is better for it and, and how that applies to um, both ministry and like what this means for a broader church context too. Cause you know, we know most pastors don't listen to this. They're too good for us. So. Cause we are the scum of the earth. There we go. Full circle on the introduction. Absolutely. Evan, any immediate thoughts? I'm just, I was just thinking back of how you're introduced, introduced like the work of Paul and the other apostles of saying like, going to a place saying, here's maybe a month of training. Now go out and start leading this new body of church who's already starting to establish itself, and you're in charge. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing after so many years of seminary training and being in the ministry for a year and a half. Can't imagine what their thoughts were when they first got there saying, okay, I'm going to leave. Paul says, here's what you need to do. Now I'm going to go someplace else, and hopefully I'll see you again. Didn't, I might be remembering this wrong. Um but didn't Paul have like three days or 30 days or something with the, the believers in Antioch to get him up to speed before he started his ministry? And that was it? 
I don't remember the dates, but it's not long. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and what my attention is drawn most to is these, this title of Stewards of the Mystery of God. And I don't know if I'm derailing wherever you wanted to go, Ben. I don't know if you had a plan with where you wanted to go. But like when I hear him, you, heaven <laughs> is organized and thinks clearly and communicates clearly. <laughs> you're, you're squirrely over there, my guy. Um, it's the snow. It's going driving him crazy. Come out to, come, come down here to Southern California. The only snow that I see is on the mountaintop in the distance. Which are actually, they're covered in snow right now. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, the stewards of the mysteries of God, I'm thinking sacraments. It's like, if, if we're talking about mysteries of God, I feel like that's, that's the big one. Um, especially as it comes to the church today. And when you're stewarding it, especially communion, the thing that comes to mind for me is close communion and how we deal with that. Um, I think... You can get to an even more like foundational level of mystery before we even get there. But I like, want to talk about close communion now. We'll get we'll get there, Josh. <laughs> we'll get there. I promise. And I think this is related. You can tell me if I'm way off track, but I think this is related. I think before we even get to the mystery of communion, we have to start with the mystery of faith. Like Especially like in our day and age, we think of um, the struggles that a lot of Christian communities have uh, around theology and around the centrality of Christ uh, in our, our salvation and righteousness, right? There's such a big drive towards like, uh, this person was good enough and uh, we think that they're going to make it to heaven just because, you know, they weren't a complete and utter jerk. Um and Paul was in some ways kind of fighting against a lot of the same um, desires and, and instincts. Oh, I did the right things. I, I got my son circumcised. Um, I, I followed the laws. I observed the holidays. Um, I'm, I'm certainly in God's good graces. Uh and yet Paul's coming along and saying, no, 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 no. You need to rest in the provision of this Christ guy. And it's all about that. And the rest of this is peripheral. Let's get this mystery down first. This, this guy who also is God came, lived, died, rose and provides you an opportunity to become one with God again. I think that's a mystery that like even more foundationally is important for us to consider as pastors and as Christians, because it's easy for us, especially if a church is struggling to like, kind of gloss over some things as as people are coming in the doors on a Sunday morning. Especially when you see new faces and they're lovely people and you you just want to see them keep coming back. But like at what point do we 
actually tell someone, hey, I, I'm concerned about you. I, I don't think you completely understand this thing we call faith. Well, does anyone really under, like, this, this is a, a, a struggle that I have because for anyone listening who's outside the LCMS or not really like in the LCMS, we put a really big priority on understanding things properly, right? We, we tend to be a very academic, uh, academically inclined faith tradition. We're one of the few church traditions that centers itself around a doctrine rather than a people or a, a heritage. Right. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? There's a reason I'm LCMS. But on some level, it's like none of us really understand how, how any of this works. I, I mean, and, I I was going to say, it just made me think of like, we, when people come to an LCMS church, we say, do you understand the sacraments? Which is really saying, do you understand the mysteries that we don't understand, but what we teach on? Do you, do you understand that we don't understand this? Yes. <laughs> and, and I, I kind of struggle with, even, even when you talk about membership, you're like, you have to have this fundamental understanding. I'm like, how about we just say, you have to believe that Jesus died for you and be growing in your understanding mm -hmm. because there's no point where it's like, okay, I understand enough. We're good. It's mm -hmm. you should always be progressing. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think we've gotten in some trouble by, by setting like standards of, right. That sounds so bad. <laughs> How dare we have standards? No, by setting like these benchmarks for understanding. And it's like, mm -hmm. I think that encourages people to find a stopping point almost. Mm -hmm. um, even I, even I was the thinking, communion. I was going to say, I was thinking of this all more in like the, the terms of we, okay, this is going to take maybe a little explanation, but we, we lean into the creeds hard, right? As, as a church body. Um, we lean with know, it got, and rock with it. Yeah, exactly. We got the, we got the, uh, the scriptures then the creeds, then our confessional documents in terms of like order of importance, right? So the creeds are like, good. If you've got those and you, you can, you can understand them. Great. Um, and I'm even like thinking of, of people who they recite the apostles creed and go, eh, I'm not sure about that. Like that level of, do you understand the mysteries of the faith? Because if you recite the Apostles' Creed and go, not entirely sure how this works, but the gift is there and I know it and like, yeah, this is what I believe. Great. We're, we've got you in a good spot. But like, I think even that level of comprehension is becoming, um, not even comprehension, that level of like, confession is becoming a difficult mystery to steward these days. I mean, because we're living in a time where people don't like mysteries. Oh, they yeah. Like, they too. like contact proof. And if they can't Google it or ask Siri to tell them what it is, why bother with it sometimes? <laughs> and it, it's really hard for us sometimes because we as Lutherans are very quick to say, we don't understand all of God's teaching and all his ways. 
We just believe what he has told us in his scriptures. And we'd love for the Bible to be three times as long, or maybe we wouldn't love it, but we'd love to have the answers <laughs> from it. what parts of the Bible got yeah. bigger. I think, I think number, numbers, and next, um, numbers and Deuteronomy needs to be three times as long. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I don't want just a, a number of each tribe. I want names. I think it also depends on what uh, what department of, of the seminary you're in as to whether you want <laughs> the Bible to be three times as long. Um, but uh, I mean, kind of going back to what I'm saying, it's like they want something concrete and we're saying we have the answers that we have and mm -hmm. we have to be okay with it. Yeah. And there's everything in our human nature that says, but I want more. And, and we kind of wrestle with that of saying, this is what God has told us. And I know we want more, but I can't give you more because I don't have more to give. It's the most and unsatisfying, I, satisfying answer of all time. I think the church, not just like, like the church, big church, everybody church. I think we've gotten in a lot of trouble because people are unwilling to say, I don't know. And I'm okay with that. Darn straight. Right. Like, I've met a number of people who used to be in the church, but they got disillusioned because people gave them quote unquote answers mm -hmm. that had no actual grounding in scripture because the pastor or whoever else wasn't willing to say, I don't know. And then they found out this guy was just making stuff up as he went. Yeah. And that's like, uh, that, that's an obstacle to their faith. Sometimes it pushes them out of the church. Like, if you're in my congregation, you know I'm very comfortable saying, I am making this up as I go, so it's just speculation. And I'm super comfortable saying, I don't know, and that's okay. I forget what professor, I think there's multiple of them who told us at seminary, they told us, you don't always have to be the pastor that knows every answer. And sometimes it's a lot better for you to say, I do not know, I'll get back to you. Because if you're the pastor who has an answer for everything, and then that one answer is slightly wrong. How much more doubt does that cause for someone? So he said he knows this, but he didn't. And it just kind of spirals out from there. I literally was having a conversation yesterday with uh, a woman whose mother is dying. And she was asking me about, like, what do we believe after death? Well, that's a complicated question that I was not ready to answer at 930 on a Wednesday morning. Um, but like, there's another one where the reality is like, we have some insight. Jesus speaks of paradise. Uh, revelation has some hint that there might be something between death and, and the, the recreation, uh, the resurrection, but we can't speak to it much more than that. Are we going to be resting in God's grace? Yeah. But like so beyond that, we just got to say, I don't know. Like, we'll find out when we get there. Now, I want to know what you guys think about this, because this is something that I do when I get questions like that. Because um, we, I, I think it's fair to call, we're all pastors. For anyone who didn't know listening to this, all three of us are pastors. So I believe we would fall under the category of, like, part of our, our calling is to be stewards of the mysteries. Mm -hmm. Um is part of stewarding the mystery I'm trying to put this in a way that doesn't sound manipulative but is helping shape how people think about it and what i mean by that is i like i i 
where I attended at one of my small groups here yesterday and we we did kind of like an ask the pastor thing where if they had any questions I'd I'd give it my best shot and I was asked about the interim state um this time between death and the second coming and how I lead into my answers is like I'll say this is what we know we know that there is a perfect new creation we know that God's people will be there. And Revelation tells us there's some sort of thing in between, maybe. Right? Because we, we don't we don't exactly know what the timeline of Revelation is, right? So And also God exists outside of time, so that adds a whole nother screw yeah. on all of this. But then what I'll follow it with is this is my speculation. And like I do these dramatic arm movements, like we are cutting here. This is officially, I am guessing based <laughs> on what I know and based on the context of all scripture. Um, and then I'll, I'll like jump into, you know, as I read, Jesus turns to the thief on the cross and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But in Revelation, we see the saints under the altar. So my, my guess would be that when we die before Jesus comes back, we are in the presence of God, but not in a complete way. And I think how Bierman explained it at one point is like, we're there, but it's kind of like we're missing our shirts or something. Like, <laughs> you, you want your shirt, but you're pretty happy because you're with Jesus. Um, so in, in that way, like, I'm, I'm stepping out of the this is what we know, but I'm helping at least my hope is that I'm helping people think about the mystery in a productive way. And it, in, in a way that is consistent with what we do know. And do you think that got, that is helpful or do I need to stop doing that? I guess is my question. I mean, I, I do the same thing all the time saying, this is what the Bible tells us about who God is, what he does and how he acts for us. And from we see, take a look at this part here in scripture and this part of scripture, we see how he is a loving God. And so in a way that a loving God where he has, doesn't reveal it to us, we can say, this is how God acts. We put our trust in him and he's the one who does it for us. And so you build off of what you've given them, of what God has given us already and say, we see how he acts. Let's, let's trust him to continue acting the way he has promised to act. I think it's also worth noting that like, so I want to circle back, Josh, to you were like saying, this sounds bad, but we're like manipulating people to, to think the way we want them to. That, like, everybody does that. So give yourself a little credit. Uh, so we're all the scum of the earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should um, change the na name of the podcast to scum of the earth. That's what we should do. <laughs> I'm only kind of kidding about that. <laughs> if we ever both cut our hair, that's what we'll have to do. Um but you talk about you're definitely going bald before you're 40. No, I'll probably just go straight like silver fox. Uh that's kind of I think where I'm destined. Anyway, um the the thing I was going to say is one like it's kind of our responsibility to help shape people's minds to be more like what Christ was is calling us to have them be. Um and like 
if we're doing it in a self-serving way, obviously it's sinful, but if we're shaping minds to be what scripture wants them to be, like that's not, not manipulative and gross as it can sound like it is. But um, another piece of that, now I've momentarily forgotten where I was going. Well, I'll, while you think about that, I'm going to jump in. Uh, members of my congregation, just know, I do this sort of stuff like as subtly as I can. Um, and if you're curious about how I subtly go about shaping people to think the right way, listen in to my presentation at Best Practices because you're going to get a lot of it right there. Um, did that give you enough time? Did that shameless plug give you enough time, Ben? Actually, it was. Uh, it was. I had it like as soon as you started talking. Uh, um, well. <laughs> anyway, so like one of the, the the most key things and most fundamental things that as pastors we can uh, help shape people to understand is the like the centrality of of Christ in history, right? Without this whole Jesus event, his life, his death, his resurrection, the rest of the Christian faith is pointless, right? Um, I once heard uh, one of the profs at Concordia, Irvine. Josh, do you know uh, Rod Rosenblatt? Uh, I've heard the name. I don't okay. know him personally. I, I, I've never met him, but he was on a podcast. He, he made the point, and then I heard this reiterated at seminary, that like the most... Uh, the only thing that can truly cause me to lose my faith is if you show me the bones of Christ, right? Like if you can, if you can dig up Jesus and prove he was never resurrected, the most central event in my faith has been disproved. I don't believe that's ever going to happen, but because there is so much mystery in scripture, there here is this one concrete thing we can really circle back to. We know that Christ lived. We know he died and we know he resurrected. We have this from the confessions that uh, so many have passed down to us. And the rest of these things that we kind of have these half completed pictures of and these, these mysterious uh, settings for, we can conjecture a little bit, but they never can be essential or foundational to our faith. Because if these things get pulled out from underneath us, we still have something to fall back on. And that's why it's so, so important for us, even as we steward these mysteries, to come back to that concrete and central element of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. That was very zen, very peaceful. Well, thank you. Almost feels like a conclusion, but you promised me we'd talk about close communion, so... <laughs> I we're did. not allowed to be done sir i did i mean that's i mean that's that's when we can lean into right now like as we're thinking about these things that we don't understand um why isn't this gift freely available to all this gift <laughs> of grace in the lord's supper why why do we do the thing we do that seems so exclusionary to the world and yet we don't even understand how it works why as pastors do we steward the gift of communion the way we do? Evan, what do you think? 
I mean, because it, it's it's hard to say. We exclude people. Well, look, we should define them. close communion yeah. first. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, there are kind of three, generally speaking, stances on communion, which is the sacrament we celebrate. You eat little wafers or little pieces of bread. There's a little bit of wine involved. Uh, that's the sacrament we're talking about. Open communion means everybody come on forward. There's really no restriction. Um, feel like there there's a growing number of church bodies that kind of operate that way. Um, and then on the other extreme, there's closed communion, which can get even as extreme as if if the pastor has not like instructed you in the faith himself, he will not commune you. Mm-hmm. And our, I believe this is our official synodical stance, is something called close communion, where if you are in our faith body, so if you are, uh, if you are willing to confess the faith alongside the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, um, that a pastor would admit you to the table. So like if a, if a member from Everton's congregation or a member from Ben's congregation were to show up at my church on a Sunday, I would communicate them. I would trust that Ben and or Evan uh, has instructed them in the faith that they have, um, that they kind of go get what's going on on the level that we get what's going. So that's what close communion is. And that is what as a synod we, uh, we adhere to. Um, with that defined, what do you think, Evan? I mean, it, it's communion is more than just a five-minute thing we do during the service for people to come up, get out of their pews, and come up front. What when someone comes up to receive communion, they're saying with everyone else who is worshiping there, I believe what this church teaches about not just communion, but everything that is being said and taught in this church. I am coming in agreeing with that statement. And the largest part that we teach about communion, that Christ's body and blood is physically there in, with, and under the bread and the wine. How that happens, we let it be a mystery to God, and it's there. And so that's the large part that all people get hung up with saying, I believe it's God's body and blood, but it's like, but there's more to that in communion. Mm-hmm. Communion is not a singular act between you and Jesus. It's between Jesus and his whole church coming together at that moment to receive the body and blood, to confess with their brothers and sisters in the faith alongside them at that moment, the teachings throughout the church and its history of what this actually is. And so when they get up there, it's it's the confession of faith for the whole church, not just for one person. And that's like that's why it's so often in, in churches your communion rail will be a semicircle it's not universal obviously especially in older churches but like in in a lot of newer churches the communion rail is a semicircle because the the image is this half is for those gathered here uh feasting and the the back half of the circle as it's completed is the the saints triumphant feasting with you is that why it's not just like a convenience? Like this makes it's the not most just sense a convenience thing. That's that's a legit them. that's a legitimate image thing. That's why people. I do I sixty seven percent believe you on that one. Evan, you want to back part me up? of part of me? I Evan can back you up. I'm still gonna say <laughs> like 
we practically built sanctuaries like this and afterwards someone was like oh it can be meaningful too just like candles and and everything else we need this ah uh, let's assign some <laughs> meaning to it too i mean it, it all depends on whoever has some architecture understanding that say let's curve it but it also oftentimes when they do curve it they include things along the side to show it's more than just your church going up to receive communion. So, both and? <laughs> I can accept a both and. Um, so just, uh, and feel free to not answer that, especially Evan, because I know you have, you, you work with other people who may determine this for you. Um, but if you feel comfortable, what is, what is your church's practice? Because uh, like the the trick with closed communion, and I think this is why people so get get so touchy about it, is because it can look a lot of different ways. Um, and I can I can start because I I hope I don't end up on a blog for this, but because uh, I I as I I'm the sole pastor, the elders have given me a lot of flexibility to kind of do things as I see appropriate. Um, so how we practice close communion at Edgewater is about as close to like my ideal way of practicing it, I think, as, as I'm ever going to get. Because um, our stance is this. If you are new, if you're coming in off the street, I've never met you. I am still willing to commune you unless when when because i i am in the back if you come in and i've never met you before i'm going to talk to you because we're a mission congregation and i'm going to get to know you um if one of the first things you tell me about yourself is like oh yeah i'm a member at blank presbyterian church or i like i'm a method if if your confessional identity as something else is that important that it is the first thing you tell me I'm going to I'm going to incur I'm going to say listen your church doesn't want you communing here and we're going to say that you probably shouldn't like we're going to we're going to agree on that um but for a lot of people especially out here where faith is not as prevalent if they're coming in even if they're christian they don't really have a confessional identity so I'm willing to say like what you do understand about the faith might well have already come from this church like that might be the extent of it um and i'm going to operate with an understanding of grace that you are going to grow in your understanding as you continue with us so in that attitude of grace i'm willing to commune you even if you haven't finished whatever class i'm giving but that's not all we do every single time before we don't have an announcement in the bulletin we don't have something that goes up on the screens every single time before i do communion my spiel is this um, we here believe that jesus promises to meet us here at this table that he is present in this meal we don't know how that works but we know he says this is my body this is my blood so we know he's here and he is here with the forgiveness of sins for you. So if you are a sinner who, who is willing to acknowledge that you need forgiveness, you are welcome at this table. But this meal also, and this is what Evan was talking about earlier, I say, this meal also says something about us as a community of faith. This meal says that we believe 
together. So if you're willing to say that you are a sinner who needs forgiveness and that you believe alongside the rest of us here, you are welcome at this table. And if and then I say, if you're not, if that makes you uncomfortable, if you're not there yet, that's fine. You're still welcome to come forward, but we ask that you, do, you cross your arms over your chest like this and we'll have a prayer instead out of respect for what we're doing here. And that's that's an announcement that comes out of my mouth every Sunday. So people know exactly what this is. You are saying that you believe with the rest of us and you are saying that. You, and so the only instances I would someone would come forward, not do this and I would withhold are if, again, they introduce themselves as as a different confession or if I'm aware there's an unrepentant sin and like we're doing counseling about it, then I'm not going to communion. But thankfully, I haven't had to deal with that yet. So that's our practice. I'm curious to see how you guys handle it, because I feel like in a lot of churches, that kind of announcement might not fly. I mean, mine's very similar to yours. I'm out back every beginning of service each Sunday so that I can meet everyone who comes in and have a chance to talk to them like you do. Um, I don't make the announcement, but on the front of our bulletin, I have a teaching of what we believe and teach here at Holy Redeemer and Dryden. And normally half the time I talk to them, they normally say, oh, by the way, I'm from this LCMS church here, because if you're coming here to Dryden, you either live here or you're coming to visit someone, so you already have to plan something out, so don't get a lot of random people walking in. But for those people I don't know, I introduce myself and try to get to know who they are and where they're coming from. And oftentimes they tell me they're from a different LCMS church or a different denomination, and at that time is what I normally say. Since we have some doctrinal differences, I'm glad that you're here to hear come hear about who Jesus is and his love for you. And I invite you to still come up to communion, but ask to cross yourself so I can announce the forgiveness of God unto you. And the best I can, and we do it because we're stewards of the mysteries of God. And when we make mistakes, we ask for God's grace that he knows what's on the hearts of all those people who come up that I might miss. What about you, Ben? I think my practice is pretty much the same as yours, Josh. Um, I The part of Michigan that I find myself in is like historically very Lutheran, but I've got a lot of people who grew up Lutheran and then went non-denom and are kind of shifting their way back uh, or grew up Catholic and then fell away and are like, but I need a church, but I don't want to be Catholic. Um, and um, all of that is to say, like, uh, it's hard to sort it out exactly who's like whose confession lines up sometimes. Um, but yeah, make an announcement. And I point back to the creed because um, we always speak the creed on Sunday and it's shortly before communion. And I say, hey, if you believe in, and confess the words that we just spoke a few minutes ago together, about this faith that we hold uh like that's one of the big pieces of what invites you to this table uh to partake in this meal um and then also leaning into what we believe about the the nature of what's there and present in in the lord's supper yeah so all right that's 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 my curiosity sated. 
That's fair. Um, Here, here's another one. Since we're on the topic of sacraments and stewarding them, when when somebody were to ask you, why doesn't you know why why do we let pastors do baptisms? What what's your word there? Why do we let pastors? Why do why baptisms? why is it that we reserve the the like honor of doing baptisms to pastors? Why is what what would be the alternative? You would say, no, you're a pastor. You absolutely cannot do this baptism. Like, <laughs> what? Why is it? I've never that had anyone say context. that. It's the pastors who we allow to do the baptisms and, and not others. My answer is always just good order, because even though Christ says go and make disciples of all nations, and that great commission is for all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our teaching, we believe that anyone can do a baptism. But oftentimes we have the church do it because the church is the one there to say, this is why we're baptizing the child, to give some teaching behind it, but also to be there as witnesses and to walk alongside whoever's being baptized with it. And I say for good order so that I don't have one of my elders say, well, I want to do the baptism this week. And then my musicians just know I want to do the baptism this week. So. I think there's also, there's something to be said for once someone is baptized they are on some level because and this goes all the way back to when ben introduced us kind of we're not just stewards of the mysteries of god we're also stewards of god's people when i when someone is baptized in my congregation at least on some level i become responsible for them and their faith mm-hmm. so i'm i'm going to be involved in that baptism and this this is something we have like on our policies for baptism we say like if you're not a member i'm still happy to baptize you and or your child however you have to understand that once you take that step i am going to take ownership of your faith and like if you if that's the only time you show up in church you're going to be getting calls from me and the elders saying like hey we'd love to see you in church your faith needs this community to grow so I think that's part of it too, is, is where like, once they're baptized, they're part of the congregation, which yeah. makes them our responsibility. Yeah. So we should, I, we should probably be involved. Yeah. I, I echo that. And I think of a couple of, so I've had a, a few random, like somebody will message the church on Facebook messenger and say, Hey, I have this grandchild that I'd like to get baptized. And I'm like, all right, are you committing to bring this child every church or every Sunday to worship so that they can grow up in the faith and, and learn about God? Uh, if so, I'll be happy to baptize them. If you're not going to commit to that, like this water's not going to do them a whole lot of good. Uh, if there's no reinforcement of the faith into which they are baptized, like. It, it has to be more than just a ritual that you do in church to make grandma and grandpa happy. Yeah, it's a commitment, absolutely. A commitment of saying, I am giving this child over to the Lord. This absolutely. is the Lord's child now. And, and because he's the Lord's child or she's the Lord's child, I'm going to raise this child in the faith, knowing the name that they're baptized in, knowing the promises that comes with mm-hmm. it, and the full commitment for that child. It's yes. not just, we have to do it because we just had a baby and it's a nice time for good family in town. Yeah. I, I also think of... Uh... Evan, I don't think you did the uh, the prison uh, ministry thing that the seminary had, but 
uh josh i think you did right with chaplain stanley yeah um he's a lovely dude very interesting past um by the time that josh and i met him um some of the things that and choices he made early in life were causing a few marbles to rattle around uh but i think one of the things that i found fascinating about his pastoral heart especially around the mystery and gift of baptism was he's like i'm baptizing prisoners these guys are going to get released in days weeks months years and they're going to return to the, the the rest of the world and i don't know what their church situation is going to look like so until i know they're settled i consider them my flock and i know that he told me stories of like tracking guys down in California and making sure they were going to church. Um, not literally like calling them up out of the blue, finding their phone number in California, calling them up out of the blue and being like, Hey, there's a church two blocks down the road. Go say hey to the pastor for me. Um, and like that kind of dedication is honestly pretty sweet. And especially when you're bringing guys into the faith, like he was or bringing gals into the faith like he was that are are coming from a uh a prison situation um where they're struggling a lot they're really reckoning with the the depth of their sin um you want to make sure that that's not just a like i don't know like a, a pill they're taking to feel better for a bit you want to make sure that that's a significant life change um and a a, a change in direction um and so we make that mystery worth stewarding and worth upholding uh, in that way yeah we're ready for takeaways boys i think so evan you know what it is you've been on the show before you want to go first or should i throw ben under the bus no, let's go for ben <laughs> it's like it well, to say me too when he's done <laughs> get, a, get under that bus ben what's our <laughs> takeaway so I think we've spent a lot of our episode today talking about why it's so important for pastors to steward these gifts. And I think um, something that maybe got a little lost is, you know, what importance does this have for uh, Grandma Schmidt, a.k.a. the uh, seminary version of Joe Smith uh, in the pew? Um, and to me, I think the biggest piece of that is one, be settled in the fact that your pastor does not have all the answers. Um, because nobody does. There, There is a significant amount of mystery and uh, unknown within the Christian faith as to exactly how things work. But also take comfort in the substantial truths, right? Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen, Christ will come again. And in that truth, there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is life for you. That was a run-on sentence for a takeaway, but I guess we can accept it. <laughs> what You're about welcome. you, Evan? I was kind of thinking back to talking about um, how pastors don't always have the right answers, but all that we do is build off of what God's word has given to us and when we make those answers, we do it with good faith in who God is. 
And so there's times where even us, we don't know the answer. And there's probably plenty of people who say, how do they know all these things? And we don't. We just know who God is and what he has done for us. And so whenever there's a time of doubt, see who God is. Listen to his word and what he tells you about him. And trust in his grace and mercy for when it's whenever the answer doesn't come up instantly. Because his grace and mercy is throughout all scripture. And that's what we look to when we don't have the right answers either. And the takeaway I think I want to close on is that your pastor takes this stuff seriously. Your faith and your engagement with the sacraments. Like, don't don't underestimate that. Your, your pastor really does seriously care for you and in all likelihood at some point has probably lost sleep over you. So... Be nice. Be nice to him. <laughs> oh, if if you uh, if you have anyone in your life who is curious, kind of about how the church deals with these things we don't know about these mysteries of the faith, go ahead and send them this podcast. Uh, see if that if that helps, or at least opens a conversation to kind of help their their walk with faith. Go ahead and copy the link, text it to them, whatever it takes. Um, and yes, that was a subtle transition into shameless plugs that Ben didn't ruin. So celebrations about that. Uh, we are on all of the major podcasting platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, iTunes, or uh, iHeartRadio, um, and Podbean, which isn't a major one, I don't think, but that's the that's the like original one. Uh, Manbunsandjesus.podbean.com. <clears throat> Whatever your platform of choice is, please subscribe. Uh, it it helps us because it like validates what we're doing a little bit. It shows us how many people are listening. It also like it encourages the chances that it's going to be recommended to other people. Are you going to throw into good. the microphone? It makes us feel good. Anyway, uh, we have a Facebook page that we care much much less about. It's mostly there, so if you don't know us personally, you can still reach out and uh, submit topics or ask for guests or ask to be a guest. Um, we'd love to have you on no matter what you are, no, no matter who you are. We, we'd love to talk to you and have you on, might, on the show. That might give you more than 24 hour warning too. Maybe, maybe that's a soft maybe. It was like um, four hour warning. Don't, don't oversell what we gave you here, Evan. <laughs> and uh <laughs> And then finally, maybe most importantly, if you're looking for a church home in any of our areas, for me, that's uh, Southern California, the Eastvale Corona area. For Ben, that's Lake Orion, Michigan. And for Evan, that's Dryden, right? Yep. Dryden. Uh, check out our churches. We're, we're pretty easy to find. I think of, of the three of us, mine's probably the hardest to find. We're in the multi-purpose room of Rondo School of Discovery. Uh, we're working on our signage. Um, but we'd we'd love to we'd love to help you grow in your faith on Sunday mornings and at other times during the week. So, uh, with that, I believe we're done. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs>